gathered together with a group of cancer survivors, playing one of those get-to-know-each-other games. A pile of index cards lay on the floor, each one having some in-depth question to answer. It was my turn. I picked up the card, and the question was this. What in your life would you most like to let go of if you could? I immediately made a joke. This card and dropped it to the floor. Everybody chuckled a little. But I got a look of anticipation from the facilitator, so my mind began to quickly swirl. I blurted out the first thing that came to mind. Quote, I wish that I could let go of the desire to want to control my kids, end quote. I elaborated by telling the group that I see the path my children are taking. It was the same path that I took, and I know where it ends. I want them to make a detour, and bypass all the regrets and the mistakes that I made. I want to make them do what I know is best for them. I wish I could just let go of that. The group got a little silent, in somewhat of an agreement. After the discussion, my wife and I were talking to the facilitator, and I said, quote, When God changed my life, it was like a lightning strike. No rhyme or reason to it. It was not predictable. It just happened seemingly out of nowhere. I don't want to depend on lightning strikes to get my children's attention, end quote. I believe this moment in my life captures the frustration that every parent must feel from time to time, even more so the Christian parent. We want our descendants to know the same God that we do in the same powerful way that we have come to know Him. But we don't want to depend on lightning. Lightning is unpredictable, it's unexpected, and it's uncontrollable. What I had to come to grips with is that yes, lightning is all that. It's unpredictable, unexpected, and uncontrollable. It is also dangerous, powerful, and instantaneous. But lightning does lay in the hands of God. He directs lightning as it pleases Him. He also breaks into the lives of individuals when and where He will. He proved that in my life confronting me on a late-night drive in the middle of my college years, and he has done it in countless lives since. In A.D. 303, God confronted a most vile and blasphemous young man who had strayed far from the instruction of his family, and he did so at not a more inconvenient time. I'm Ronnie Brown, and this is Forgotten. of Christians had reached a fevered pitch during the reign of Roman Emperor Diocletian. Although Christianity had been the focus of persecution in general since its inception, Emperor Diocletian, who was committed to the traditional Roman pantheon of gods, declared a state-sanctioned persecution of Christians. On the 23rd of February, 303, he ordered that the newly built church at Nicomedia be completely destroyed. He demanded that its scriptures be burned and that all its assets be seized and added to the national treasury. On the very next day, Diocletian's first, quote, edict against Christians, end quote, was published. It ordered the destruction of Christian scriptures and all places of worship across the empire, and also prohibited Christians from assembling for worship. 
Christians were hunted like wild animals over all the empire. Once captured and unwilling to renounce their allegiance to Jesus Christ, they would be subjected to any number of tortures. They would be scourged until the flesh would be ripped from their bones. And then to magnify the pain, the wounds were rubbed with salt and vinegar. Others would be placed on racks and pulled until their bones ripped out of joint. Some were fed to the lions as entertainment at sporting events. Over 20,000 Christians were estimated to have died during Diocletian's reign of terror. Emperor Diocletian demanded that every soldier in the entire Roman army perform a sacrifice to the gods or face discharge. One prominent story from the Diocletian persecution was that of a Roman soldier named George who loudly renounced the emperor's edict and in front of his fellow soldiers declared himself to be a Christian by vowing his worship only to Jesus Christ. Diocletian attempted to bribe George to renounce his faith. He was offering him lands and wealth if he would make one sacrifice to the gods of Rome. George adamantly refused and was subjected to cruel torture that ended in decapitation. Needless to say, society as a whole viewed Christianity with disdain. As in the early days of the Christian persecution by Nero, Christians were blamed for any disasters or destructions that took place. Twice in the reign of Emperor Diocletian, the imperial palace was burned with fire. Each time, Christians were blamed for a conspiracy to kill the emperor. Following the lead of the emperor, culture itself was permeated with anti-Christian sentiment. Genesis of Rome was one who looked to profit from this anti-Christian bias. Genesis was a gifted actor, comedian, playwright, and the leader of a troupe of actors in Rome. In the summer of AD 303, Emperor Diocletian was set to make a rare visit to Rome to celebrate the 20th anniversary of his reign as Caesar. Numerous civic and cultural events were being organized to celebrate his visit. Knowing of Diocletian's disdain for Christianity, Genesis decided to write a comic play mocking Christianity. There is some speculation that he hoped to gain favor with the emperor through the excess of his mockery of Christians and gain some sort of appointed position in his court. Although he had some knowledge of the Christian faith because some of his family, most likely his mother and father, had been converted to Christ, Genesis had repudiated its teachings long ago. He needed to know more of this hated religion. In order to research his play, he approached members of the underground church in Rome as if he were a new convert. He was able to convince Christian leaders that he was earnest in his belief and wanted to know more about the Christian faith and be baptized. He went through a period of instruction, keenly interested in the subject of baptism and its picture of the washing away of sins. Roman culture had a love for water and bathing, which would be captivating to an audience. Genesis kept up the charade until he was satisfied that he had enough information to devise his spectacle, and then he abandoned his Christian teacher. He assembled his troop and explained his play to them. It would be centered on the act of baptism. Through the scenes, they would make fun of the various aspects of the Christian faith. The punchline would be when Genesis would be baptized on stage. The roles of priests, exorcists, and guards were set and ready to make a fine impression on the emperor. The play itself began with Genesis acting in the lead role as a sick man lying on a bed. He is calling to his friends to bring him something to relieve his suffering. When they had done all that they could, he said that he felt that he must die soon and was resolved to, quote, 
die as a Christian, that God may receive me on this day of my death as one who seeks his salvation by flying from idolatry and superstition, end quote. A priest and an exorcist were called, asking him what he would have them do. Janissa said to them, quote, I desire to receive the grace of Jesus Christ and to be born again that I may be delivered from my sins, end quote. As the crowd snickered from his lines, something began to change in the heart of this actor with these words. As the play continued, the priest and the exorcist carried on with their antics, leading Genesis to the waters of baptism. The emperor and all the company were laughing hysterically at the lunacy of the scene. But in the heart of Genesis, a flood of memory began to wash over his mind. Memory of the faith of his parents and relatives a faith that he had long since left behind. Memories of his recent teachers that had in full faith received and taught him in the way of Christ Jesus and his forgiveness of sins. It was then that he envisioned a company of bright angels over his head who read out of a book of every sin that he had ever committed from his childhood to the present. Then the book was plunged into the cleansing waters and made whiter than snow. It was then and there, before the gawking eyes of Roman society and the emperor himself, that God sent a lightning bolt of mercy and grace into the receptive heart of this play actor. Right there on stage, before everyone, Genesis received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. His acting troupe had no idea what had just taken place. They were all going about with their comical exaggerations. After the baptism, two cast members dressed as Roman soldiers were to take the just-baptized convert into custody. These soldiers were to present Genesis to the emperor for the hilarious climax of the play. But what took place next was intensely dramatic. As he stood face to face with the great persecutor of Christians, Genesis said, I came here today to please an earthly emperor, but what I have done is to please a heavenly king. I came here to give you laughter, but what I have done is to give joy to God and his angels. From this moment on, believe me, I will never mock these great mysteries again. Wherefore, I advise you, O great and mighty emperor, and all ye people here present who have ridiculed these mysteries, to believe, to believe with me that Jesus Christ is the one true Lord, that he is the light and the truth, and that it is through him you may obtain the forgiveness of your sins. End quote. Diocletian was thrown into a fit of rage at the unsuspecting turn of events and ordered not only Genesis, but the entire troop to be arrested. One by one, the other actors were released by thoroughly convincing their captors that they had nothing to do with Christianity and had no idea what had come over their colleague. But through the subsequent questioning and threatening, Genesis continued to profess his newfound faith in Jesus Christ. When he was not persuaded to recant, he was handed over to the prefect of the praetorium who tortured him mercilessly in order that he would deny Christ and offer sacrifice to Roman gods. 
Genesis was beaten with rods. He was stretched and pulled on the rack. He was lacerated with iron hooks and burned with torches. And through it all, Genesis held fast to his testimony of Jesus Christ as Lord. During his painful suffering, he was reported to have said, quote, There is no other Lord of the universe besides him whom I have seen, I adore and serve, and to him I will adhere, though I should suffer a thousand deaths for his sake. No tortures shall remove Jesus Christ from my heart or mouth, end quote. After a great length of agonizing suffering, he was finally condemned to death and was beheaded. His last words are believed to have been, quote, Our Lord Jesus Christ is God, and we shall have life in his name, end quote. What took place on that Roman stage is a testimony to the saving power of God to reach anyone, anywhere, and at any time. Even the most blackened heart of blasphemy is a candidate for God's miraculous deliverance from sin. Even the most cynical of skeptics can, in a moment's notice, be struck with a deep fear of facing God in judgment with all their sins laid bare before Him. No prodigal son has traveled the road of riotous living too far. No wandering daughter's path lay outside the grasp of God. No father is too hardened no mother too broken for God to intervene. I have often heard quoted to parents, Proverbs 22, 6, quote, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, end quote. Many, I believe, have misunderstood this verse. This is not a promise that every child raised in a godly home, instructed in the ways of God, loved in line with the character of God, will come back to God. No, many stray from God, never to return. But what this verse says is that they will never get away from it. It will always be with them. It will always be there. Whether like me, speeding down the highway, or like Genesis, acting in a play. No matter how far they roam, they will never cease to hear the inviting echo of the voice of God calling them to himself. Forgotten is written and produced by me, Ronnie Brown. You can find out more about this show at ForgottenPodcast.com I'm also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ForgottenPodcast Forgotten is now available on various podcasting apps such as iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Downcast. Be sure to stop in at iTunes and leave a review. And as always, thanks for listening.